How you guys doing? Awesome. That's great. I know you guys are doing really swell today because last Sunday something pretty cool happened, you know, like something about a team who plays a sport, wears red, you know, the Chiefs won their third Super Bowl in five seasons. That's crazy. Come on. That's awesome. KC. That was, and that was a blast. That was so much fun to watch. What an incredible game. I mean, my heart rate was like steadily at 140, but, um, but it was amazing. Uh, so congratulations to the Chiefs and to our city. That's really cool that we got to be a part of that. Super fun. Um, last, not last night, when, no, it was last night. What am I talking about? Last night was our sweetest dinner ever. Um, and come on, it was amazing. Um, for those of you who got to be a part of it, it was a wonderful uh, fundraiser that the youth put on, and uh, and all the couples. We had a bunch of couples here, and they had set up the entire uh, worship center as like this restaurant feel. The lighting was great. There was like a light jazz music going on, uh, and the food was incredible. Shout out to Kaylee Patroquin because she like killed it. Three course meal. Um, it was amazing. And, uh, and I think they raised something like close to $1,600 um, in one evening. So um, that's awesome as well. So thank you guys for all of you guys that were a part of that and were generous with that. And, uh, and the youth, man, the youth did an excellent job. They're out there serving and like asking, oh, can I, can I refill your tea, you know? And uh, it was wonderful. So they just put it on like nobody's business. Uh, I loved it. And so it was a great time. Great to be a part of that. And so next time we do something like that, uh, you don't want to miss it because it was really, really special. So um, so with that uh, and with the end of uh, the Chiefs season, I know it's sad that we don't get to watch any more football, but there is a new season that started. Uh, and it's, it's not a sports season, no, um, but I, I'm sure you guys are looking forward to this season as well. It's tax season. Isn't everyone excited about that? Yeah! Tax season, yay! Uh, we all get to fill out our taxes and submit our awesome forms uh, and then find them all. Like, that's, that's always the thing, is like finding everything that I need to do my taxes. That's always a blast. But for some of us, it is, there is a little bit of, of looking forward to. There is some hope, some expectation for tax season. Uh, for some of us, maybe not as much. Uh, typically, it comes down to one thing, and that's dependence, Right? If you have a lot of dependents, then tax season isn't too bad, right? Because there's a lot of tax breaks, the more dependents you have, and so you get a nice little tax return, and so that's something to look forward to. I don't think anyone actually looks forward to filing their taxes, um, but, you know, sometimes we get uh, a little bit back from the government, and that's nice. Um, but it's funny how that's the only scenario and the only context where having more dependents is financially beneficial, Right? Because having five children, um, typically that depend on you for food and clothing and shelter, uh, it doesn't really help out your finances as much. But it's great to have that little, that little season where it is a blessing to have all of these different dependents. Now, one day, unfortunately, they will grow up and no longer be dependents, and they will be self sufficient adults. They will get their adulting on and follow their own taxes. Um, and that will be a sad day for me, one, because of the tax breaks, but also because 
they'll be moving out and, and moving on to that next season of their life. But it's interesting because in our relationship with the Lord, God's designed us to stay dependent, that we would never actually grow out of that season, but our entire life from beginning to end, we would be dependent to him and dependent upon him, right? So the Bible paints this picture. Paul says that the body of Christ, the church, is his body and that he is the head of the body. So literally, God's painting this picture. Without him, we can do nothing. Like a body without a head. It doesn't do much, right? I know my wife butchered some chickens, and uh, it didn't work out well for them when they didn't have that part. Um, but, it's brutal, I'm sorry. But uh, it's true. God created us to be reliant upon him. Now, I think a lot of times in our lives, we can get to a place as human beings, where we think, okay, I'm self-sufficient now, right? I'm an adult, I can, I can control my life, I make plans, I know what's going on, I build relationships, and we sometimes unknowingly take ownership of our life from the Lord and, and take it on ourselves. And God said, no, that wasn't the design. The design was that you would always be a dependent, Always. I mean, think about it. If Jesus claimed dependence on his taxes, it'd be like 8 billion people because all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. So we'd all be dependent upon him, right? But we're intended to be that way forever. And that when we function in a way where we're dependent on him and dependent on one another, we're in the sweet spot, the zone that he created us to be in, and that's where we thrive the most. Now, our culture would say, no, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, independence. It's about being your own person and doing your own thing. But God's design for his body, for his church, is to lean into trust and reliance, to lean into each other and into him. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do we live into that reality of being dependent on God and on one another as his body. So the title of my message today is dependence. Dependence, not the verb, the noun, plural, dependence. Um, so we're kicking off a new series today. Uh, we're starting a series called The Body, where we're going to be answering the questions or asking the questions, what is the body of Christ? What is the church? What is our function? How do we exist? Why did Paul use the illustration of the body to talk about God's people. Why, why that? Why the bride? He also talked about the bride of Christ. Why did he use those? What was the purpose of that? And then how do we function as a body? Like we have different members, different parts. What's our part? How do we fit into all this? And, and who am I in this body? And how do we function well together? So we're going to be asking these questions over the next few weeks during this series. And last week, we kind of kicked things off as like a, a ramp into this series. We talked about the joys of community. And it was a blast. Last Sunday was fun, wasn't it? It was, it was a great time. And there is something that only comes from the times where we join together. And so when we come together and when we unite around truth, we're able to choose joy through thanksgiving. Because we get to hear from one another. 
from each other's testimonies, from what's going on in other people's lives. When we're in the thick of things and we're down in the mire and in the mud, it's hard to see out of where we are. So we need people around us who can lift up our eyes and point us back to Jesus and remind us of the hope and the grace and the love and the life that we have in him. And so when we gather together, it helps us to choose joy and for God's joy to be our strength. We talked about that last week and how we can celebrate with one another, right? We can empathize with each other's successes and rejoice with one another. It's not just empathy when we're down, but also when things are well. And then have fun, right? Eat the choices of meats, as Nehemiah said, and drink sweet drinks. And that's why we're doing that chili cook-off and the bunko night, because we're going to eat some choice meats together, and it's going to be awesome. And so we want to invest into that, right? So the first thing, though, I want to talk about is that foundational question, what is the body of Christ? What is it and why? Why the body? So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be hanging out in this passage a lot throughout this entire series, so I'm not going to read the entire passage today for the sake of time, but we will revisit this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, it says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then in verse 20, it says, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So he's saying, okay, what is the body? You, you are the body. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part, and as a whole, collectively together, you make up Christ's body. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read a lot of verses. Is that okay for everybody? I'm going to read the word? All right. 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5 says, For just as each of us has one body and many, with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Isn't that interesting? He says, each member belongs to all the other members. Man, now I've heard of it, I've heard it preached, right, that our life is not our own, right? That we belong to Jesus, right? We've been purchased through his sacrifice on the cross. But the Bible says that we also belong to one another in the body and in the community. We're meant to be committed in relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ in a unique way. Colossians 1.18, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. And then the last one, I promise, for this, for this part at least, Ephesians 1.22, and God placed all things under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Man, how cool is that? that God describes us, the body of Christ, as the fullness of Jesus. We're meant to represent him. We've talked about that before, but literally that's our destiny. Romans 8, 29 says that we are predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. 
We're meant to look like Jesus. We're meant to represent the fullness of Jesus as a body. Isn't that awesome? How cool that we get to have that opportunity to represent him in that way. But it makes it clear that the body of Christ is the church, right? It's his people. It's us, believers, everyone who is following Jesus all over the world, collectively gathered together. That is the big C body of Christ. And isn't it cool today that we got to see our brothers and sisters in Christ in Africa? How cool is that? That we have brothers and sisters that share the same heavenly father and have the same savior and have the same heart for God and for his presence and for his word. And we could connect with them. We could go right now to Africa and connect with those people and have so much in common because our hearts are centered on Jesus. How amazing is that? All over the world, the church is huge. There's a billion people, over a billion people who claim to follow Jesus. And that's a lot. That's a huge family. It's a lot of brothers and sisters, right? And yet we meet in, in gatherings like this all over the world, all over this country. We gather together as a unique local expression of Christ's body. But man, this isn't the end of it, right? The body of Christ is huge. And we've been invited into that. That's amazing. But it's the church. So then the question is, why, why does Paul use the body? What, what is the point of using a physical body as the picture, the illustration of God's people? The body of Christ is the most accurate picture of what God wants his people to look like. And I want to tell you why. There's a couple of different reasons why. And there's, there's more than a couple, but a couple that I want to focus on today of why that the body with Christ as the head is the perfect representation or illustration of God's people and how he wants us to look. Number one, the number one reason is unity. Unity. Did you notice the word that preceded every single time in those scriptures that I quoted? There was one word that preceded body. Every time he was talking about the body, there was a word, there was an adjective that he used to describe the body. You guys, did you guys notice what that word was? Huh? One, yes, yes, all right. That's right, one. Over and over, every single time it talked about the body, it said to form one body, many parts, but one body, form one body, members of one body. The descriptor of the body of Christ, the number one descriptor of the body was that it is one. One, not multiple, it's one body united together. Why is that important? Because the church was literally birthed from Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17. The very first prayer for the church ever in the history of mankind for believers came from Jesus. And listen to what he says in his prayer for us, you and I, everyone who would come to faith in him. Listen to his prayer. John 17, verse 20, verse through 23. My prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's all of us, every believer around the world today. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' prayer for the church, the first prayer for the church was what? That we would be one. One with one another and one with him. United. That's why we're one church. That is the name of our church. It comes from this prayer for the church. Be one with Jesus. One family, one on mission. Those are our missional objectives as a church. But it comes from the prayer of Jesus. His desire more than anything else is that we would be one with him and one with each other. God wants us to depend on one another. God wants us to depend on one another. And like I said, this is countercultural, right? Our world does not preach this. <laughs> it is the exact opposite, independence, not dependence. But God says, no, my design is that you would depend on each other. Why? Why does he want us to depend on one another? Well, first of all, in order to depend on someone, it takes humility. You have to say, you know what? I need someone more than myself. <laughs> I'm not self-sufficient. I need you in my life. We have to humble ourselves in order to depend on someone. And Jesus invites us to do that. That's the character of Christ. He himself humbled himself. Jesus, and became obedient to the point of death and the death on the cross. We're imitating him. He's saying, hey, I want you to depend on each other because that requires you to say, you know what? I'm not enough. I need other people in my life. I'm going to humble myself and say, hey, I need help. I need help. Humility. Why else would God ask us to depend on one another? Well, I belief Lifting each other up. Think about it this way. If you are depending on someone, then you believe they have something you need. Right? You're valuing them. You're saying, I need what God's placed in you in my life. I'm depending on you. And so we believe in one another when we depend on each other. We believe what God's placed in each one of us is a gift that we all need and that we can receive from. And then we affirm that gift when we're depending on each other. We're saying you have value. And what God's put in you has value. So he says, I want you to depend on one another. And then what else? In order to depend on someone, we have to trust them. Right? Right? If you're going to depend on someone, you have to put some trust into that person. And that requires us to open up our hearts a little bit, doesn't it? And invite people in. In 1 John, um, the people were claiming to love God, but they hated their brothers and sisters in Christ. And he said, that's impossible. You can't love God and hate your brother. It doesn't work because if you can't love them who's seen, then how can you love God who's not seen? So God says, hey, I want you to depend on each other because that opens the door for our dependence on him. So humility, belief, affirmation, trust, honesty, invitation. In short, 
the reason why God wants us to depend on each other because when we do so, we look more like Jesus. We take on his character. Amen? So number one, the reason why God uses the, the, the picture of the body, one is unity. Number two is submission. Submission, Ephesians 1, we read this earlier, and God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him as the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, Jesus, who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. But, it, but notice, it is connected with the head. Colossians 1, 18 through 20, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God wants us to depend on him. So he wants us to depend on one another, and he wants us to depend on him. Without him, we can do nothing. Think about it. We're dead without Jesus. We have no life in us. And it's sad to say that there have been plenty of churches over the years, through the years since Christ came, that could be described as dead, apart from Christ. That Jesus wasn't a part of that church. He wasn't allowed in the building. The presence of Jesus was not there. I mean, Jesus called out the church in Ephesus in Revelation. And he says, you guys are doing great. You're doing all these awesome things. You're loving people. You're serving people. It's wonderful. You know, but I just have this one huge thing to, to tell you. And that is, you've forgotten your first love. Where am I in your church? Man, without the head, we're, we're, we're nothing. We have nothing. We just become cold, colorless, heartless, hard-hearted. We have to stay connected to the source of life, Jesus. Desperately, we need the presence of God. We need him in this, in this room. Without him, we can't do nothing. Jesus said it himself. He, he described us as branches to the vine. He was the vine. We are the branches. If we're not connected to the vine, then we're lifeless. We have to stay connected with him. And in the body, as a church, Jesus has to always be welcomed. And it takes intentionality. It's easy to just drift if we're not paying attention in our lives, it's easy to just go through the motions. It's easy to just show up to church and to sing the songs and to listen to the message and do an outreach and do a group. And it can be very easy to leave Jesus behind in the name of Jesus. <laughs> we have to be intentional to always say, no, we want to invite you in. Jesus, without you, we're not doing anything. And so when we have a small group, 
Let's invite Jesus in. When we have a service here on a Sunday morning, we want to invite Jesus in. When we're doing an outreach, we're inviting Jesus in. We want to always, at all times, in every place, every part of our lives, every context, intentionally invite Jesus in. Because we can't live without him. And that's not what he wants for us. He doesn't want us to be colorless and lifeless and dead and cold. No, he wants his kids to be fully alive, passionate, consumed with the heart of God, consumed with the heart after other people, caring for each individual that we see, warm, full of color, thriving, powerful, efficient, productive. He wants to see that for his kids, but then as a witness to the world, right? If we're to be the witness of Jesus to the world, then he wants a church that is fully alive in him. Full of life, passion, character, integrity, faithfulness, faith, devotion. Now that is a witness to, a, to the world that God is good and that he loves them. Look at John 17, look at Jesus' prayer. He says that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. Then the world will know. When they're unified and they're united with me, then the world will know that you sent me. That's the witness, right? The world will know that you are my disciples because of what? Your love for one another. So we become the witness of Jesus to this world when we're united with him as the head and with each other as members. So that's why. So why? Unity, submission, being one with him, being one with another. So the question then is, how do we live into that? How do we become dependents and live into being dependents on him and on one another? So, First off, becoming independent in the body. How do we do it with one another? How do we depend and rely upon each other? Number one, I mentioned this earlier, is humility. Look at Romans 12, the beginning. He starts to talk about the body of Christ in Romans 12, but look how he leads this passage off in verse 3. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And then he goes on talking about how many members will form one body. You notice he leads off. If you guys want to live into being a body, he's telling the church in Rome, it's like, then you have to think of yourself with sober judgment, not more highly than you ought to, meaning you need each other. That's the way this works. You have to believe that you have a need that can't be met in and of yourself, that you need people around you. And you got to live into that in order for this church to thrive and to function. You have to learn how to depend on one another and lean on each other. Humility opens the door to other people sharing the burdens of our lives. But it only starts if we're willing to say, yes, I can't do it on my own. So humility, number two, belief in affirmation. 
belief and affirmation, becoming independent. So this is something that God invites us into, and this is a really cool practice. And that is looking at the people in our lives, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and seeing what did God place in them? What's the gift that God put in this person? How can they pour into my life? Now, it sounds very selfish when you say it that way, but it's there is something that they have that we need. We need each other. So what is that? Looking for those gifts that God's placed in each individual person. They're, every personality is different. There's different strengths. We all have a different reflection of who God is through our unique expression of him and the image of God. And so looking and saying, what is that in each individual person searching for the treasure that God's placed in every person? And then when we find it, affirming that, telling them what we see and how it's a blessing in our life and inviting that into our lives. So what do you see in the people around you? Now, is this possible to do with every single person in a church? That's difficult. (laughs) And that's why we have groups. That's why we have small groups, because in a small group of people, if you're connecting regularly, you have to get to know people to know that, right? You got to get to know someone to really know what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are, and they have to be vulnerable, and they have to be honest, and, and the more time you spend with someone, the more you get to receive from the image of God in them. Am I right? We experience that with our spouses, right? The longer we're married, the, the more we get to experience God's unique expression through them. Same thing in all of our relationships. So, but looking, saying, God, what have you placed in this person? And then affirming that thing in them, celebrating that. So we humble ourselves. We're opening the door because we have a need. We're depending on others. We're believing and affirming what God has placed in each individual person. And then number three is that trust and honesty piece. And that's where we invite them in. To our hearts, right? The welcome is the word of the year, right? Welcoming others into all of our hearts and our homes. So how am I inviting someone else into my heart? How am I cultivating transparency and vulnerability in relationship and saying, I see what God's placed in you and I need you in my life. And here's why. Here's what I'm carrying. Here's what's going on in me. Here's where I need support. This morning, I actually, um, I, I was not feeling well, like, at all, like, just physically not feeling well. And I was preparing this, and I was like, I should probably text someone <laughs> and let them know, hey, can you please pray for me and reach out? And so I, I text the elders and said, hey, can you guys please pray for me? I'm just not feeling very strong today. And, of course, they immediately responded and said, yes, we're praying with you. Man, that's, it's as simple as that. It doesn't have to be super complicated. Just little moments of trusting other people and inviting them into our weakness so that we're not carrying everything alone. We can depend on each other. Isn't that awesome? So, becoming an event, humility, belief, affirmation, trust, and honesty, and that's in the body. And then with the head, with Jesus, how do we become a dependent with him? Well, there's a lot of different things that we can do, but number one, Refuse ownership. Refuse ownership of the outcomes of our life. 
where we're saying, okay, this is dependent on me. What happens here, the fruit of this in my life, whether it be relationships or work or whatever it is, it's, it's on me. I'm taking responsibility. No, it's refusing ownership and saying, no, I'll plant. I'll be obedient to God. I'll water, but God's going to bring the increase. He's going to do the work. I am refusing to take ownership of what comes out of this, of the product of my life. And so Philippians 4, 6 is a great scripture that helps us in this process. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. So in any situation, as soon as we want to try to fix things, as soon as we want to try to take ownership of our life, Subtly sometimes, taking it back from God, we intentionally say, no, 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 no. I'm going to present my request to God. I'm not going to take ownership of this. No, God, this is in your hands. You're going to be the one who brings healing, life, freedom. It's not, it's not dependent on me. I'll do my part. I'll be obedient. But God, I trust you with the increase. You're the one who's going to do it. And it takes intentionality to pause, to ponder, to pray, and to release things to the Lord. It's the whole pray first and then think model. Because <laughs> when we think first, as soon as we start thinking, we start taking ownership again. You know, sometimes we just need to stop thinking and pray first. And all right, now, God, now what do you want me to do? So refuse ownership. Number two, this is dependence on the head. Choose grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is my favorite scripture. I love it. But he said to me, this is Jesus talking, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. It's saying, God, I can't overcome in and of myself. I can't do it. I've tried, it doesn't work. And so it's saying, all right, Lord, I can't do it, but you can, and your spirit is in me. So Lord, I'm leaning on your strength to overcome. I'm leaning on your strength to find healing and wholeness. I'm leaning on your strength to find deliverance and freedom. I'm leaning on your strength to have purpose in life, not my own. Because I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. And so, Lord, I'm not going to be able to overcome, but you are. So I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus. I'll do my part, but God, you're the one who's going to bring freedom. You're the one who's going to bring healing. You're the one who's going to bring wholeness. And I'm choosing to lean into you. That word belief, in John 3, 16, where it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Believe, that word belief, means to rely on to trust in and to cling to. Cling to. We are clinging to Jesus in his strength in our life. And that's when we experience the fullness of life he intended for us. That's dependence on him. Refuse ownership, choose grace. Number three, remember the cross. Remember the cross. How do we stay dependent on God? Remember the cross. Without him, we're lost. There's no hope for us. There's none righteous, no, not one. 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Colossians 2, 13 through 15, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He says, you were dead. He made you alive. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And without Jesus, we're lost. We need him desperately, relying, trusting in, clinging to him and his saving grace. The cross of Jesus is what set us free. He's the one who makes us clean. He's the one who adopts us into his family. It's because of his blood that was shed that we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's him. He's adopted us into his family. He's called us blameless before him in love and blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and accepted us into the beloved He's the one who's washed us clean. Our our sin, which was red like crimson, has been made as white as snow because of Jesus. And the more we remember the cross, the more we keep the cross in front of us, the more we practice communion. And by the way, communion doesn't just have to be done here. You can have communion at home with your family, with your friends, and you can celebrate Jesus and his death and remember his death on the cross as much as you want to. There's not a limit. Like how often you remember Jesus. But when we do that, if we keep that in front of us, man, it keeps our hands gripped tightly to our Savior, dependent upon him. The more we remember his sacrifice and where we would be without it. Amen? So I want to close with this. Jesus is the beginning and the end and everything in between. It all starts with him and all ends with him. He paid it all, right? That's the song. The thing is, the more and more we become dependent upon the Lord, the more and more we lean into him, we trust him, we draw closer to him, the more we realize our need for one another. that we need each other, that life change doesn't happen in isolation, that we literally belong to one another. That's his design. That we can depend on each other. But it's because of his sacrifice we get to be a family. Because of him that we are connected. Isn't that so cool? Without him, we we wouldn't even have a relationship with each other, with the people in this room, except for those of you guys who are family members, obviously. That's amazing. Jesus brought us together. And he's the one who keeps us together and holds us together. The blood of Jesus that runs through us, that binds us together in peace and harmony, 
And as we depend on each other, it helps us stay dependent on him. Because we're weak, we're broken human beings. And we need our brothers and sisters to point us back to Jesus. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to close our time with worship. And we're going to sing that song, Jesus Paid It All. And I just encourage you guys, take this moment, remember the cross of Jesus, and then thank God. Thank God for his sacrifice and that it brought us into this amazing family that we get to be a part of. Amen? So take a moment, just rise to your feet with me. I just want to pray over you guys and pray over our time. And then we're going to close out with this worship. Lord Jesus, Father, I pray that you will capture our hearts, God. Help us to cling to, rely on, and trust in you as the head. Lord, without you, we can do nothing, Lord. Help us, God, to remember your cross. God, to choose grace. Father, help us to cling to you, but Lord, give us the grace, God, to humble ourselves and to put our trust in each other or to support us, to invite one another into the deep places of our heart so that we don't have to carry burdens alone. Lord Jesus, God, we give you the glory for all that you have done. Lord, and the family that you've invited us into here today, God. And we just take this moment to worship and to honor you for it. In Jesus' name, let's sing this song together.
Father, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you gave for us, Lord. God, we keep our eyes fixed upon the cross of Jesus. Lord, may you always be exalted in our hearts, God. May you alone be seated on the thrones of our hearts, Lord. Lord God, we refuse ownership, Lord God, and say, God, you are the king of our hearts. You are the king of our lives, Father. Lord God, bind us all together we are bound to you as one. Lord, we love you, Jesus, and bless you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, I love you guys. I appreciate you all. And uh, next week we'll continue in this series, dive into this more. Uh, Have a wonderful Sunday, and we'll see you next week.